Amen. So I want to walk down a little bit. So I talk about this idea of the lost art of shepherding. So right off the bat, I want to make clear that as church planters, we are simply vessels whom God works through. We simply provide conditions conducive to growth and productivity. And I, I have to say that because sometimes I think we have to be Rambos in certain parts of Houston and we got to go in there with a, with a, with a knife and a bandana and fix um, our neighborhood that God is calling us to and you, we take on this messianic complex and then that messianic complex leads to depression. Then you start arguing with your wife for no good reason. And then next thing you know, you go download seven books, read them, and now you think you're a Jedi when you're really a Padawan. And so, and look, I'm, I ain't talking like y'all, I'm talking me. And so I want to remind you, pastors, that you are simply a vessel which God works. I owned a barbershop for 12 years. Here's what I used to always say. When somebody would say, man, them clippers is good. Boy, look at my hair. I said, boy, clippers don't cut hair. I cut hair. Clippers remove hair. They don't cut by themselves. And so you, at best, are a clipper in God's hand. So when he's putting that shape up on, you ain't nothing but a clipper. And last I checked, the clipper don't get a tip or talk. That's God. God is shaping the woolly, nasty, overgrown hair in your community and turning it into an ebony showcase haircut to be on display. Not you necessarily. That's God. So be happy to be a clipper in the hand of God. You are not the Messiah. You can barely handle your flu. You sure can't fix Houston by your own strength. You are simply a vessel. The Lord is the one who causes the believer to grow. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, So then neither the one plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives growth. And then God bears fruit in you. He says in John 15, 4 and through 5, Remain in me, and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it, unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. I just imagine Jesus saying that with his finger pointed at me. The one who remains in me, I, I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Men, we have to take ownership every day. You are not the Messiah of Houston. You are a clipper in God's hand and only he can produce fruit. I know you went to the church planning Home Depot and got the five core values. I know you got the webpage. I know you got the swag logo and the t-shirt. I know, but you can't produce nothing apart from Jesus. You ought to just say amen right now. I could take an offer and we can leave. That's one of my, that was one of my biggest issues. I was always trying, as much as I preach grace, I was working, I was doing a doctrine of works. As much as I screamed only, you know, it was all him, that false piety, I was trying to make it me. And most of my issues were that. Second issue that I'm here to talk about is shepherding. In the midst of shepherding, I call it the lost art of shepherding because I grew up in Christ Temple Missionary Baptist Church in Patterson, New Jersey. Reverend Robinson, 
I, I wrote him about him in my book. He passed it a long time. No scandal. Barely could read. Never would say ecclesiology, but he led my mother to the Lord. John and Calvin are drug dealers where I'm from. So wouldn't never said reformed. Wouldn't have never said, you know, pneumatology. He would have said the Holy Ghost. But my mother is saved, got saved and went to heaven because of Reverend Robinson, because of what the Lord did. So therefore, the way he shepherded, it was like an art. See, Reverend Robinson had a way to walk up on you and check on you. Old black preacher just walk up on you. How you doing? Catch you right after the benediction, shaking 40 hands, has a way to say something to you to make you cry. <laughs> he got a way to talk to you about something, shepherding you, helping you, praying for you. You don't even know you being shepherded. You think you're just going to get him some Kool-Aid. Next thing you know, you crying, raising your hand, talking about hallelujah for no good reason. It was an art. It wasn't just us Here's my challenge. It, Reverend Robinson didn't outsource shepherding. He insourced shepherding. He didn't just say, watch y'all get mad at me. We got to set up these missional communities. You know, we're going to read Vanderstel's book and we're going to have them in every house and it's going to be perfect. No, it ain't. Set up a, I had a missional community in my church. And then the little boy was selling dope and they raided the house and almost the mission community went to missional jail. <laughs> shepherding. It's lost often in church planning. We don't have time for shepherding. We got to get this tweet out. We got to post something swagged about the last shooting. We've got to somehow defend Trump or hate Trump. We got to do that while people in your neighborhood, these millennials are doing menage a trois, arguing for cannabis, and we arguing about was the shooting bad? Why are we arguing about stupid stuff like that when our people are dying? They're listening to every other whack preacher they're being shepherded by the streets, and yet we arguing about dispensationalism and not shepherding people and not helping them navigate. You've been made a GPS by God, though GPS is physical. The satellite shoots the instruction, and the, the GPS just says left turn here, right turn here. The GPS on its own doesn't talk. So pastors, you are GPSs to help navigate people through the rough life of this world that they might see Jesus through the journey. We got to shepherd people. Often the scriptures talk about they were without a shepherd. It doesn't say they were without a web page. They were without a shepherd. They weren't without 12 tweets today. They were without a shepherd. He saw them as shepherdless. They were scattered as sheep without a shepherd. But we want to replace every new technological, fancy, sexy new church planning trick than just sitting down with Pookie Nim and telling them, you can't sell cocaine. 
sitting down with the boy who don't take care of his kids and tell him, listen, you need a job with benefits because your baby got asthma. We got a shepherd folk and you ain't going to get away with that drive by shepherding. You ain't going to be able to just send him a Facebook comment. You got to go to the crack house. Well, me, maybe not some of y'all got to go to the crack house, but I did. <laughs> Sometimes you're going to have to go to the Starbucks. There's contextualization. <laughs> Sometimes you got to go to the Starbucks and tell them Jesus is greater than a caramel macchiato. <laughs> you got to spend time with folk. And I know that's tedious because you got to be at Exponential together for the gospel and the gospel coalition. And I know you got to prepare 40 hours a week to preach for 20 minutes. We got to prioritize that the people that have been put under our care need us to help navigate them. Children of God, you do not do any of that with your children at the house. And if you do, you shouldn't be pastoring. You spend time with your kids. You don't kick them out when they fall apart. You coach them week after week. You give them tools to be successful. You set up a college fund for them. You teach them how to buy the proper interest rate when they get a house. You're helping them think. You're taking them to college visits. You are setting them up for life, but yet we act like low-paid babysitters when it comes to the flock. We cannot do that. Shepherding is not about getting people to follow us, but rather follow Jesus. So in other words, as we shepherd, we're making disciples of Jesus, not clones of you. We don't make clones, we make disciples. And so shepherding is messy. Shepherding makes you cry. Shepherding has you walk into situations, you're here to shepherd and they fighting about something different and you done added four more meetings to this one meeting you was just at. I walked in when I was on the phone with Pastor Brian Lee, I walked in to bring some food because they was hungry and got caught in a knife fight. So I done went from bringing some food for hunger to almost getting stabbed on the phone with Pastor Brian. I was mad at him because he wouldn't hang up fast enough. So I'm breaking up a knife fight, on, I'm, I'm bringing food, getting in a, breaking up a knife fight on my way to bringing food. Shepherding is messy. Shepherding is nasty. People will tell you their worst. And you got to give them Christ's best. Can't be squeamish. Church planning ain't for the squeamish. You got to, you can't be no nurse if you're scared of needles. Can't be no church plan if you're scared of mess. This folk is hurting, but God has called you. And can I tell you this? In all of that, he's given you the Holy Ghost. He's given you his scriptures. He's given you a precedent from Moses to Nehemiah to Paul and the ultimate shepherd of all shepherds. The embodiment of shepherding is Yeshua, Jesus, the Christ. He's the good shepherd. Writer Hebrews calls him the great shepherd. That's our model. So we must shepherd, shepherd. I'm trying to figure out where I want to go here. All 
Our shepherding role must lead people to the chief shepherd, to his power and his provision. We're not creating codependency on us. And within shepherding, Randy Pope talks about this in his book, Insourcing. Once you start making a disciple and walking with them, that is the journey to leadership development. We don't do JV coach. And then once they lift weights and train in the summer, now we make them leaders. We're making them leaders as we disciple them when they walk in the door. So it's a lifetime investment. That new person that receives the Lord who was an atheist last week or maybe a devil worshiper the week before, you're walking them up for leadership in Christ church always. God will bring them to the forefront when that's time, but your job is to pour your life into them and to help them navigate. And don't hear me saying you, one pastor, have to do that, but we have to create an environment that's conducive for shepherding. I don't want you to burn out on that. I want you to shepherd, but at the same time, I don't want you to over-delegate shepherding and putting too much pressure on your missional community leader. So now he, he, he just struggling to clean up in time before six o'clock, get the diapers out and get the potato chips. Now he's been forced to navigate somebody through a porn addiction. That's our job. So we can't outsource. So what that's gonna mean is, we're gonna to have to raise more shepherds. We're gonna to have to develop more leaders and not just launch more missional communities. Randy Pope says in his book, in his book, Insourcing, page 45, he says, this is exactly what the church is notorious for ignoring. We give people truth and then delegate the mission of living for Christ without necessary equipping and accountability. Page 167 says this, when all is said and done, the person discipling is the curriculum for the person being discipled. You are the curriculum for the person being discipled. So let's jump in here. I'm in 1 Peter 5. But before I get there, I want to talk about, I've talked about, the, I had the mission up there. Don't worry about that. I'm awful with a PowerPoint. I've had like 10 slides that I've rolled past. Don't worry about that. Let me walk two passages and jump into 1 Peter 5. Just jump in real quick. Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28, the mission. The mission. You got it. The mission. So the mission, Acts 20, 28. Be on guard for, for yourselves and for the whole flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So this, this idea of being on guard for yourselves or um, this word here carries this idea to be on guard, to pay attention, um, to have with you, to be with, to give your time and attention to to turn your minds towards, to bring near to you. That's what this word carries here in, the in its original Greek. In other words, Paul is instructing pastors to be aware of their own weaknesses and temptations and desires, their thought processes, feelings, and habits. 
And at the same time, these pastors need to pay equal attention to the state of their people by devoting their time to prayer and shepherding for them. I love how it's stated to shepherd the church of God, and he puts the stamp on it that Christ has purchased with his own blood. In other words, when I drop my kids off to the babysitter, they better be good when I pick them up. And so Jesus is stamping, you better take care of the people I brought under you because they are my children, you are a babysitter. And you better take care of them because I purchased them with my own blood. In other words, they're not yours, they're mine. And you better act like you are not, because see, I just want you to imagine picking up your child and he has two tattoos and a black eye after you drop them off at the babysitter at eight in the morning. That babysitter gonna have something to pay when I get there. So will you, pastor, when you stand before our God and King. He purchased it with his own blood. He's telling you to be on guard for yourselves and the whole flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you. You didn't appoint yourself. God did it. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. He's trying to just let you know, this is Christ's church. And you better treat it not like it's common, but you better handle this baby with care. Because it was purchased with blood. It was set up. You were made by the Holy Ghost. So that's a high calling, and we walk in that with joy and grace, and we love it. But we, that now propels us when we sit down with the person that gets on our nerves to still love them well and to still shepherd them well. Not to say, I'm sick of them. I done talked to them two times. I'm done. I'm so glad Jesus didn't do that to us. And I sure don't get away with that with my son. I got three boys, 20, 21, and 30, and three grandkids. And I tell you what, they make some of the same mistakes all the time. And I don't evict them. I shepherd them. We have to do that at the church. And on the block where I pastor in Camden, young man called me the other day by mistake, asking me, could I come by and bring him some jars? The people from the hood know what that means. Jars full of weed. And I said, yo, this Pastor Doug, bro. He said, nah, Diddy, I was talking about jelly. <laughs> and I just helped him navigate through some weed stuff. And he calling me right after. I couldn't say, I'm done with him. Be on guard for yourselves for the whole flock, which the Holy Spirit has appointed you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I got to treat him with care. And remember, all means all. All right. And then John 10. Let's jump to John 10. That was the mission. Now, here's the model. John 10 and 11. You can give me the passage. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So it's a laying down. So if Jesus is the embodiment of shepherding, which he is, then our ministry has to look like Jesus. I know we want to go to Bill Hybels and do his leadership thing. I know there's a lot of great leadership books. I've read them. I love them. I got a bunch of them. But man, at the end of the day, Jesus is our model. 
Jesus is our model. Jesus is the good shepherd. I, I, I love that. The, the, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So that's the model. It's a dying to yourself. It's no longer preference, but it's the people that God has sent. He's the good shepherd. Um, First Peter here, they're going to call him the chief shepherd, the arche poem, and this one, this, this, this one who is the senior pastor, if you will. And Christ models shepherding from John 10 by his redeeming death on the cross. This is the picture. His death on the cross, Jesus purchased his sheep. As a model shepherd, Jesus took the impending wrath, the impeding wrath that we were going to face, that was hurling down at him on the hill of history to take him out, to annihilate him and us. He took that wrath so that, though that he could... One, he could stand before them. He says, my sheep know my voice. And he can be the shepherd to, what, to those which were lost at one point. He took the wrath that we deserve. He laid down his life. So every time I think about pastoring, everything I think about being on my nerve with this trap house and this drug dealer, I think about the wrath Jesus suffered on the cross. I think about he didn't sidestep the wrath that was coming, but he ran to it and took it full force for the sake of not members of his church, but for people that were yet sinners on their way to hell. And he stepped in the place, sucked up the wrath of God with joy for the sake of people who didn't even love him yet. So, so our shepherding has to look more like that and not like Jedi masters. And it can't look like handing them a book. They come in, they struggle with porn, here's a book. They struggle with doctrine, here's a Puritan paperback. And I'm not mad at none of that stuff, please. I got every Puritan paperback. But on the block, man, we'll sell your Puritan paperback back to you. Just will. So we have to shepherd them. Jesus died in our place. Having purchased us at full price, he paid full price for damaged goods for his sheep on that cross. Now with joy, the Lord Jesus is always loving and he's always tending to his sheep. Right now he's tending to us. Right now he's nudging the Father, making intercession for us. Right now. We could easily read Psalm 23 and say, the Lord is my shepherd. Or we could easily say, Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. So let's walk through 1 Peter short. And then I've just got some simple application to walk out. Chat is gone. Somebody put a, Pastor Brian, put a clock on me because all night is all right. <laughs> <laughs> 1 Peter 5, I'm reading from the CSB. I call it the Camden Street Bible. <laughs> I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples for the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. I'll stop there. So this text 
jumps out here, and the first idea is the shepherd's call. The shepherd's call. The shepherd's call. No, that's coming. Don't worry, it's the shepherd's call. It's way up. So the shepherd's call, here's the idea. There we go. So Peter is going to submit an exhortation to the local shepherds. But as he calls them with this exhortation, I want you to see a few things. He identifies with them. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. As well as one who shares um, as a fellow elder to a, and a witness to the suffering of Christ. So he throws himself in the, in the pile as a fellow elder and one who's witnessing the suffering, the cross, the suffering of Christ. This is the heart of his exhortation. This is important because he wants you to know he's not a super shepherd. He wants you to know he's not a super apostle. He's letting you know he's a fellow elder like you. He witnessed the sufferings of Jesus. We get a clue to the answer of what he's getting at because we, we are to understand that they're under persecution because of, um, they're under persecution and they are suffering for righteousness sake. So he's exhorting them that just like you're suffering, he witnessed the suffering of Jesus. So he's telling you out of the context, not out of a general who doesn't ever fight in the field, but as one who does. So gentlemen, as we build elder teams for lead pastors, don't be so high that you over-delegate and the guys don't feel like elders with you, but, flank, but they feel like they're flanking you. So Peter is making it explicit. He's, this is his scream of plurality. This is his scream of, I'm, I'm here with you. I'm on the ground with you. This is his scream of, I'm with you. I'm one of you. This is his, I'm not the Pope. I'm a fellow shepherd. And he, tell, he does it in the context of persecution because he's writing this letter to a church under persecution. So he's saying, I've seen some suffering of Jesus. So he's this exhort, he's urging. Um, he's encouraging, he's, he's saying, please listen to this. This is important. And then he seals it with and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. So he says he's a, your fellow elder. That's he gives him his title. The second thing he says, he's a witness of Christ's sufferings. He's bringing you to his trials. And then the third part, he's a partaker of glory to be revealed. He's talking about the triumph that will come. The future glory that Peter shares with these Asian elders is this anticipation of the glory that, be, that will be revealed. So Peter is saying, your suffering is not unto just suffering, but we have a, view, a beautiful future because of what Christ did. And so sometimes it seems like there's an endless amount of ministering to do in our churches and in our city. But I want to tell you, pastors, hold on and hang on. Christ is coming. He's got a plan for this mess. 
He hasn't left us here nor abandoned us. And so he's coming. And so when you sit down and do the tedious work of shepherding, just know that one day we're all going to be with Jesus. See, I can be encouraged knowing that, not that I'm just shepherding the shepherding. It's like, like when you go to a, around Christmas time, when you go to an outlet store, I'm, I always go to the polo outlet. Around Christmas, when you're looking for your size, you don't have no mercy on when you pull that stuff out. So all through December leading to Black Friday, the stuff is just a mess. After Black Friday through, it's just everywhere. And every time I walk in, that girl is refolding <laughs> and refolding. And she's just angry and angry. Because they know, she know they're going to be back in here next week and the week after. So she'll probably quit. <laughs> Pastor, I don't want you to quit. Peter says... who shares in the glory about to be revealed. He gives you this anticipatory messianic reality that Jesus is coming back and he's gonna show some crazy stuff that he promised. So you just shepherd and trust and wait on him. There is triumph coming, not endlessly refolding the mess that other people make. This is important for us as church planners because I think sometimes our end game is 500 people and not 100 healthy disciples. So if the end game is your glory and not the glory to be revealed in Jesus, then we got to repent of our idolatry and we've got to sit down with some brothers and just confess our sins. We got to rewrite our proposal. And we've really got to repent and rethink what we're doing. And listen, this is a fight you got to have every day. You know you go to them churches. Look, I walked in here today. And I'm like, oh, this is like campus number five. Look at them. And Pastor Blake said, Doug, this is the chapel. I said, this ain't the sanctuary. <laughs> I got to get home and go lead 77 people to the law real quick. I need to lead a football player to the law so I can get some big contract money. So I can be champion Forrest Camden. <laughs> you know how y'all do? Y'all go to them conferences and go home all pumped up on espresso and five-hour energy and it wear off not long after you get home? When your wife say, take out the garbage, you back to reality. <laughs> and then you get to your church and find out you still got them 103 folk and 50 of them get on your nerves regular. <laughs> we got to have Christ's triumph in mind because we will swerve and do missional drift. So it's a Christ-centered picture. So the shepherds, call. He's called to show off Jesus. He's called to shepherd. He's exhorting from the place of this is about Jesus's church and making him beautiful, even in persecution for these Asian elders. Second idea, the shepherd's charge, the shepherd's charge. Verse two, 
shepherd the flock of God among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of grief for money, but eagerly. The role of the shepherd was to lead the sheep to nourishing green pastures. From a spiritual standpoint, we ought to bring the sheep to a place where they feed on the divine truth. So here in this context, we're, we're bringing them to the word of God. Why? Because everything else is vying for their attention. Every other 10-step plan, and in, our, in, well, in the hood, we've, we're dealing with Hebrew Israelites. We're, we're dealing with Pan-Africanism. The nation of Islam is making a new comeback because um, of the deep division and racism and, and all the mess going on between our Fox News and MSNBC party separation and Republican Democrat where Christians are finding their identity in their political party and not in Jesus. Don't know how to even think about talking about race when it's clear. Don't know how to challenge a black person when they just an angry black person because you're a white pastor so you're scared to tell them you need to calm down. I have to tell a white pastor all the time, well, Pastor Doug, well, he's black, I can't say that. Well, then you need to step down. You got a shepherd who God brings you. I don't care what their color is, and you just got to say it right. Not just say it white. <laughs> so we're bringing them the truth, but gentlemen, the truth ain't just a bunch of quotes from some evangelical royalty. Don't outsource your shepherding duties. Don't just hand them books, send them to conferences. In order for you to shepherd the flock of God, the, God, um, the flock of God that is among you, you've got to know what's happening in the cultural context. You got to know what's happening in the world so you can custom tailor to shepherding. But that means you might have to stay home from some conferences. That means you might have to post less and pray more. That means you might have to watch cable and find out which your teenage, who's pastoring our teenagers. Why do these millennials think like they think? Why is there such a deep entitlement issue with our 15 to 31s? Why, why is there such a, a, such a deep divide right now? How do we live under a president we don't like? You got to be able to shepherd people in that. And you don't get away with, just preach the gospel. Just preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel is in proclamation, but we also have to live the gospel in practice. So preaching, I would never tell nobody in Flint who's got lead poison, don't worry about it, I'm just gonna preach the gospel. No, somebody getting locked up. If there was a conspiracy to allow Poor people to drink, let it up water. We're going to preach the gospel and get a lawyer. We're going to hold some folk accountable, black, white, or orange. I don't care. But preaching the gospel calls not for just gospel words, but for gospel action. 
We got to shepherd the flock of God that is among us. What does that mean? You got to be home. I know you get excited about preaching engagements. Take them in moderation. You need to be home for your people. Let me tell you something. And this life of the road and see, often we get called. And then the thing that people ask you to come talk about. I'll give you an example. As I pastored, I'm a NASCAR church. That means the cross is on the hood, but I got a lot of stickers on the side. I don't raise money from here, from here, from there. I was a black Presbyterian. That's like a unicorn. And I was <laughs> raised money from Baptists, Methodists, Jews. Jewish folk gave me some money. Calvary chapels, I don't care. I got a lot of stickers on the side. I'm a NASCAR church, but the cross is on the hood. Now they love what God is doing. And so those 52 supporters, each of them want you one Sunday. When do you ever go home? When do you ever shepherd the flock of God that is among us? So Peter is calling them to deep-rooted family shepherding, spending time in knowing all that they're going through, all that the city is going through, all that the country is going through, and being there, not being an absentee pastor. If I've got to subpoena you to do child support to your flock, that's bad. The flock of God that is in your charge, your family, this is a family responsibility. Why? Flock of God that is among you, not overseeing them out of compulsion, but willingly. What am I saying? What is, what is Peter driving home here? He's saying, yes, it's rough, even in persecution. And yeah, he's seen the sufferings of Christ. But you better shepherd some of the most rough people to shepherd with joy. You know how hard it is to have joy when people make you upset and mad? You, you, you do, because you read the book of Jonah. He wanted nothing to do with them Ninevites. They were a part of slaughter and murder of people he loved. Of his, he didn't want nothing to do with them. He was willing to run from God. I don't know how you do that. But he was willing to run from God to avoid dealing with people he didn't like. And he had to get swallowed up. Pastors, shepherd the flock of God among you. Not under compulsion, but willingly. They were purchased with his own blood. It's Christ's church. You should be dead in hell, but he saved you somehow. You shouldn't have a church because many of us hated the church before we got here. The place has fallen apart. We've made many mistakes since being saved and being pastors. Why do we shepherd people Willingly is because Christ willingly died in our place. Nothing could have talked him off. They tried. Get down and save yourself and save us. But he stayed up because he says, Blake Wilson's going to need a savior. Sergio's going to need a savior. And he stayed the course even in death. Pastors, shepherd the flock of God amongst you. 
not overlording them, not under compulsion, but willingly. Why? Because we look like Jesus when we do so. So this elder is a multifunctional and multifaceted. He feeds, he protects, and he cares for. He feeds, he protects, and he cares for. And my last point, because I think I'm out of time. One minute. He said, so Chad said five, the other guy said one. I'll take the guy with the hair. <laughs> he said, he's just laughing. So when the chief shepherd appears, the text says in 5-4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. We shepherd unto this eschatological, this end time hope. Jesus has a plan in place. But sometimes we don't like the shepherd because we don't believe that plan. We don't need another shepherding conference. We need to repent and believe the gospel. We need to see that shepherding is God's plan in place. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading clown of glory. And so we shepherd knowing that in the midst of all the challenges, that God's going to crack the sky. We shepherd knowing that one day all this shepherding is going to lead to an eternal praise break. We shepherd knowing that through weed and divorce and porn addiction, Though it was hard, one day it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we shall be like him. I get up in the morning to this reality that the sheep, chief shepherd is going to appear. That's why the old church, they always close with we're going to heaven. Billy Graham recently died. All we talked about was heaven for almost two weeks. We don't talk about heaven in the church no more. We talk about community groups and cool stuff. Remind your folk, shepherds, that the chief shepherd is coming back. He has not left us here. Andre Crouch says, soon and very soon, I'm going to see the king. Do we shepherd and give our people an anticipatory reality of Christ's coming? We must, and we must not outsource. We must insource and do it. So, couple of steps that I'll throw at you for application. We must shepherd in reality, though. Don't shepherd the church you don't have. Shepherd the one you have. I get so many church proposals, church planning proposals for support, and it says, well, we're going to plant 47 churches in the next three weeks, and we got a plan for multi-site and multi-this, and you, and you ain't got one member. So they already got all this stuff ready and they haven't done anything. Church planners, we must live in reality. And if God's called you to plant a church, that's a good reality without a person. Be patient and walk with the Lord that you might see many and any come to know Christ. But trust the Lord, and that requires some patience. So don't try to overwhelm people with your awesome PowerPoint pr presentation. Man, humbly accept the reality of 46 people and be excited about it. Don't talk about them like you can't wait till you get to 500. Talk about them, I'm so glad about the 46 God sent. We've got to live in reality. 
Sometimes we're doing too much. We're doing too much. So stop looking at church plant porn and trying to impose a fantasy on your congregation. Because you're not satisfied with what God's called you to. Looking at this curvaceous champion force. <laughs> giving yourself false hope when you get home. Imposing on your church what pastor a champion for us, he's in a different place than you. Stop stealing models that don't work. You got one kid, you, you don't need a seven passenger. You good with a Civic. But you get, as soon as the wife get pregnant, first baby, we gotta get a minivan. Why? <laughs> you prophesying seven more kids. Now you gotta get a school bus with rims. Embrace God's call, embrace God's congregation, and embrace the cross that you've been called to bear. Not some other church's call. And stop embracing everybody else's congregation. Bragging about everybody's church, how good they have it. And don't never see nothing on Facebook about how awesome it is your church is. Simply put, men, we are called to be faithful to the call in which God has called us to. This church planning, men, look at me, is a crock pot, not a frying pan. We cook them slow, like good smoked brisket. You can't smoke no brisket in 15 minutes. These folk been saturated and soaked in sin. You think you're just gonna get it out because you touched it and threw some Lowry seasoned salt on it. Your little preaching stuff. Nah, we got to soak this baby. We got to put this thing in the crock pot and put it on low and just let that thing cook and simmer. It's a marathon. God is a faithful God. He takes his time with you. And all these big churches, most average churches, like 100 to 126 people. So you ain't doing that bad as you think you are. Therefore, just man, put, that, put, put that thing in the crock pot and don't keep doing this all the time. Put it in the crock pot and get to work in the block. And come back and check on it when you get home. But don't try to put it in the frying pan after you look at Pastor Rachel Ray cooking and then you think all of a sudden you can go to Kmart, buy her pan, and now all of a sudden you can cook like her. Don't do that. Put that thing in the crock pot. Be faithful. Cook that thing slow. Can I tell you, sometimes you cook a burger too fast, it's still red in the inside. But that crockpot food is done through and through. It takes his time. Take your time and let Jesus work. While you're planting a church, God is planting in you his, his deeper intimacy and deeper love. So don't rush through that thing. And let God shape and form you. While you're planting, God's making you a better dad. While you're planting, he's making you a better husband. While he's planting, he's setting you up to be a good grandpa. While he's planting, he's trying to do something with kids that aren't even born yet. Because our church plant is not the goal. The goal, I don't even like church planting. It's hard and miserable and expensive. I love Jesus. And I like obeying him. So I'm a great commissional thinker. 
I want to get I want to see folk get saved. And so if the vehicle I'm a drive is church planting, well, I'm in that joker in automatic or stick. So church planting is a vehicle. I'm not trying to be a great church planter. I want to be a good disciple of Jesus. I want to be a good missionary to my city. I want to see people meet Jesus. I don't care if that's in a, in a church plant, in an existing church, and in a remodel. I don't care if it's at Starbucks or in the trap house. I live out the Great Commission, and that's what we've been called to do. Don't be a great church planter. Be a good disciple of Jesus. It's a higher call. Father, bless us. After all this talk, I realize how inadequate I am for this, how inadequate we are. Lord, we would all quit if it was based on our backs and our strength. But Paul said we toil with all of your energy. So God, have us to repent of trying to do this on our swag and not on the eternal swag of the living God. Lord, um, I pray that there will be great repentance today for anybody clinging to their identity as a church planner and not a son of Jesus and not a son of the Father. I pray that our identities would be deeply rooted in Christ and that our obedience would be deeply rooted in your commission and commands. And God, as you use church planting, Lord, have us to do that for your glory, not for our platform. Might we preach as we shepherd? Might we preach to the people at our congregations and not to the podcast of on listeners? So break us, use us, guide us, make us better. Might we walk away new, not beat up, but challenged, pointed towards the cross. Might we leave loving Jesus more? And might more relationships in this room jump off crazy. Might churches, existing churches, connect with churches that need financial support and partners. I pray that this room would be that, that breeding ground for multi-generational church planting for your glory. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.